All right, well, we are doing this series called Unseen Realities, and uh, this week we are talking about the battle for your mind. And so years ago, we decided to forego our family vacation, and instead we chose to use the time and money to build a clubhouse in our backyard. And our girls really wanted a place in their backyard that, that they could hang out and make memories with their friends. I mean, that sounds pretty great, right? But the problem is I'm not exactly what you would call handy, okay? It's not that funny. Uh, but, but I do love to plan and prepare things, so I got excited for this. And I had been on a lot of mission projects where we built homes in Mexico, so I, I started sketching. Uh, basically, our clubhouse ended up looking like one of the houses we build in Mexico, but it's not funny. Uh, but... Um, but, but I started thinking, I started getting excited about this, but the problem is I don't really have a lot of tools. So I thought, all right, how do I outsmart this? So what I would do is I'd measure the cuts that we need, figure it out, then I'd go to Home Depot, I'd buy the wood, and I'd be the guy that's standing there with like eight pieces of wood and be like, all right, now cut this one, eight and seven, you know, cut this. But the problem is I'd go home, and eventually it wouldn't always line up. So I started using a handsaw, right? And so there I am, you know, in my garage, that, that's brutal, by the way. That takes a long time. So after a while, what do you think I did? I bought tools, right? It made, I bought a saw, and things went a lot better because things always go better when you have the right tool for the job. I was the guy who, if you need to pound a nail in, and I look around and I don't see a hammer, well, I'm gonna grab a stapler and jam it into the wall or, or the back of a screwdriver. I'm not kidding. Um, but I've learned in each situation that things go better when you have the right tools. And eventually, uh, I got levels and squares and chalk lines. And hey, what do you know? That saved me a lot of time. I learned that the hard way. And uh, this is what the clubhouse looked like uh, it, when it's all said and done. And uh, the, Erica really wanted a hatch on the roof for them to go uh, up on top. And they did that often. And so uh, that was pretty cute. But things go better when you have the right tool for the job. I found this weird commercial that further illustrates this. So let's watch this. Maybe. I don't know what that is about, but <laughs> things go better when you have the right tool for the job. In the Bible, in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, recorded an interesting situation. So Joshua, he led Israel after Moses died, and the Lord told him to take the city of Jericho. But the problem is Jericho had these walls and gates and was very hard to get into. And so uh, what tool did he use? Was it a battering ram? Was it some kind of ancient explosive? It was not. He told Joshua, I want you to march around the city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And after that, then I want the priests to blow trumpets. I want the army to shout, and then the walls will crawl, crumble down. I imagine they looked a little weird, right? I mean, think about it. If you're the guys, the guys there guarding the gates, and all of a sudden you see them, uh, they're marching around again, and you don't really know what's going to happen. They could have used so many different tools or tactics to get through those walls. But there, the right tool was obedience, because things go better when we have the right tools for the job. And in the same way, to get the right results, we have to follow directions. 
And last week we talked about the reality of spiritual war going, around, going on around us. That there are angels who serve God and they obey him without question. They exist to serve him and to serve us at his command. There are fallen angels known as demons who work to destroy the work that God is doing. We said that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he, was, who he will devour. He wants to tear us up. And our struggles in this world are not so much against people and circumstances as they are against the unseen realities. So what do we do about this, right? How do we combat this? If we're going to have victory, what are the directions we need to follow? Well, to break down this message, I'm going to say it in a sentence, and this is the sentence I will say it in. It will come up on the screen. When we fight God's way, lasting victory can be won. If you have a Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to be, and we're going to see that when we fight God's way, lasting victory can be won. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So C.S. Lewis famously wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. I wonder who's read The Screwtape Letters? Oh, that's pretty impressive. That's a lot of you. Now, the book is fictional, but it addresses some of the unseen realities. And so in there, uh, we have, it's a, it's a series of letters from a senior demon. His name is Screwtape. And he's writing to his nephew, Wormwood. What a great name. And uh, Wormwood is what's called a junior tempter. And so Screwtape is mentoring him, and, and he wants to tell him how he can lead astray a man in the book is known as the patient. And so one selection, and I'm shortening this a little bit, He's telling Wormwood the value of making his patient focus on the future and missing what God is doing in the present. This is just to show you an example of how the enemy works in the battle for our minds. And so Lewis writes this. And I feel like since this is coming from uh, screw tape to Wormwood that I should use some like different kind of demon voice, but I didn't really practice that, so we'll see how this goes. <clears throat> it is far better. No, that doesn't work. I'm not doing that. Um, it's far better to make them, I didn't think that through. Um, it is far better to make them live in the future. It is unknown to them. So that, make, so that making them think about it, the future, we make them think of unrealities. It is the most completely temporal part of time. For the past is frozen and no longer flows. And the present is lit up with eternal rays. The idea there is he's saying, if I can get them to think, if you can get them to think about the future, they're not going to think about right now. They're going to miss what God is doing in the moment. You ever fallen for that one? Here's the point. The point is that there are unseen realities working to tear us down, uh, working to tear down the work of God, and the battle is real, but the location of the battle is our minds. And that's why we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're gonna start in verse three, and it says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so we're going to talk through the verses this morning, but look at verse 5. That won't come up on the screen, but look at verse 5 if you have your Bible, and you're going to tell us where the fight is. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, what we know, and we take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so the idea there is that there are things that we know about God, but there are also things that have opposed what we know about God, things that we've grabbed a hold of in our own minds. And the enemy fights to tear down the truth that we hold on to. And so this is going to be, uh, um, I think this could be a really good message for many of us. And so, um, uh, you know, normally I'm very needy and I need encouragement and I need you to say go. Uh, any of my kids in here, by the way? Do I have one of my children? Come up, come up here real quick. And so... Uh, 
Um, so instead, what we do sometimes when it's like go time, right? When we get like really excited and it's like, all right, it's go time. We fist bump. And uh, this is my daughter, Erica. Everybody say hi, Erica. And so instead, we'll do like the fist bump explode like this. Ready? Ready? Like that. All right. So if you're ready and you're with me, you guys are like, where, what are we doing right now? If you're with me, find somebody and give them the fist bump and explode it. This is, come on. You get to do this in church. There you go. Wow. Some of you looked really unexcited. Some of you looked overexcited. That was awesome. All right. Three ways to fight the battle with your mind. Let's start with this. Choose the right weapon. Verse three. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. I'm not sure what just happened there. Um, the, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So we live in this world that's physical and temporary. And, and we are unable to see the spiritual world, so we focus on the physical. And therefore, we wage war as the world does. And I'm not saying, this is not talking about uh, uh, machine guns and, and F-15s and so forth. And so we shouldn't fight with that. Uh, this is talking about the spiritual battle for our mind. And so let's go back to the passage from Screwtape that we just talked about. The enemy gets us to think about the future, to worry about it, to stress about it, and we miss out on the present. And so we're concerned of what's ahead, and we see that we're focusing on it, and something we cannot do anything about because we live in the present. The right thing to do if we think about it is to focus on the present, knowing our choices will impact the future. But when those thoughts come, when you start obsessing over the future, how do you fight? Well, we have to start by choosing the right weapon, and that starts with acknowledging that we don't fight as the world does. Well, how does the world fight? Well, most situations we turn to self-reliance. We tend to focus on our own ability to influence things, right? What happens? We're like, I'm fine. I can take care of it. It's not a big deal. There's nothing wrong with thinking about the future, and all of a sudden we start giving up a little bit of ground in our mind, but our methods are futile. They fail. You can't fight spiritual battles with human methods. Have you ever tried mind over matter? Yeah, it doesn't work. Maybe it works for a while, but it doesn't last. And see, the enemy tricks us and says, oh, you're fine. You can handle this instead of fighting the spiritual battle that's going on. And so we'll never live in victory until we recognize that we need more than what we're fighting with. And so let's continue because we choose the right weapon and then we identify the stronghold. All right, we're gonna get real now to fight the battle in the mind it's essential to fight with the right weapon, but you gotta know what you're fighting. And that's why Ephesians chapter four tells us, do not give the devil a foothold. And the idea here is don't surrender ground. Uh, I don't know if you ever played the game King of the Mountain. Uh, with middle school kids, we, we used to go on this retreat in Wisconsin, and uh, it made me feel really tough because we'd get up on the top of this mountain, and I'd get to throw middle school kids off of it. And the idea is you get up on the top, and you wanna be centered on it, and you wanna be ready, and all of a sudden, like five of them are coming at you. Uh, but as soon as they get you off of the center, as soon as you've given up a little ground, you're done. And all of a sudden, four or five kids will come at me. That's how many it took in those days. And uh, now it would take one, if even. And they push you down and you go, this is what we do. We surrender a little bit of ground. We give it up to the enemy. We allow him to influence us through certain sins. And the more ground we surrender, the stronger the hold he has on our mind. If truth be told, We've all surrendered ground to the enemy. We've let him set up strongholds in our mind, which are patterns of thinking that are not based on God's truth, and they lead us to sin. When we surrender ground, eventually, he's just, he's in the center, right? We've given up a stronghold. Five main areas the enemy attacks. I'm gonna expound on these. These are not all of them, but these are common. Let's see if anything stands out to you. And the first one is unforgiveness and bitterness, an area where the enemy will attack. Pride. Well, that covers a lot. Sexual sin, self-image, 
discontent. I wonder, where, where are you vulnerable? Where have you surrendered ground? Where is the enemy whispering in your ear? You're like, well, it's not fair for you to ask us without you, know, you telling us. Is there, which of those do you struggle with? <laughs> some of you are like, I don't want to know. But the truth is, all of them. Uh, some more than others, but these are five things I have to fight. You see, we often fight with the world's weapons. We rely on ourselves and our own thoughts. But God has said, hey, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And we think we can handle things. I'm important enough. I'm strong enough. I'm fine. And so we just accept these things in our lives. Start with the first one. When someone hurts me, I, I tend to forgive quickly. But over time, the enemy works to plant seeds of bitterness in my heart. Well, sure, you forgive them. But doesn't it make you angry when you see them? Can you believe they're just, look at them. They're, they're, they look fine. They're just getting away with it. Shouldn't you just be a little bit upset if I start entertaining those thoughts? I surrender ground. I recently heard somebody say that for the follower of Jesus, forgiveness should be uh, immediate and unlimited. Let that sink in for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, forgiveness should be immediate and unlimited. That is tough, but you know why it's important? Because that's how we don't give the enemy ground, right? Maybe the stronghold in your mind is in that area. Pride, pride is the most common sin, and Pride causes us to start to believe that we're so great that we don't, we don't need God. It, it, it fosters self-reliance, keeps us from depending on God. Over these past several weeks, uh, since many of you learned that, that my family and I would be moving to Iowa, you have lavished praise on us. And I, and I appreciate it sincerely. Don't hear that otherwise. But there's a battle at times. Because I'm like, man, maybe I should just stay here because these people think I'm pretty awesome, you know? <laughs> like, like it, I, I just thoughts start going through my mind. It's like, Boy, I didn't know these people felt this way. And I mean, I'm assuming half of you are telling the truth. And so that's like, that's super meaningful. But, but for real though, I start, uh, God help me, lest I start thinking for a moment I've done anything of value apart from the work of his Holy Spirit. And this week I was with four students and I realized that by God's awesome grace that half of the students, I had seen the moment when they came to follow Jesus. And I didn't make that happen. It was just an awesome thing. And God was like, look what I've let you witness but pride at times is like, look what you did. Uh, how about sexual sin? I, I don't think I can talk about this in church, but what are you gonna do? Um, this is extremely common, and it's not just in men. Uh, what happens is the enemy starts putting a thought in your mind about something, and justification follows. Well, it's not like I'm doing this. See, no one gets up one day and says, hmm, let's see, today I've got lunch, I've got this, and then I think I'm gonna fall into some serious sexual sin. Like, that, that doesn't happen. It's surrendering ground one thought at a time. It's being self-reliant. It's letting pride well up. It's saying it's not a big deal, but we have to fight. How about self-image? Self-image is another stronghold. Often we hear self-image, we equate it to body image, but that is a small part of it. Social media today tells us that the unhealthy focus on self-image, on body image, is alive and well, and maybe that's your stronghold. But the problem is overall in the Bible, there are commands to take care of your body, but the idea of meeting a certain physical standard is a lie straight from hell. You know, the Bible actually says to focus on imperishable beauty, beauty that doesn't fade. But self-image is more when the enemy whispers those thoughts of, hey, you're not good enough. You can't do this. You're literally the worst. Look how much you fail. As I'm, as I'm writing this sermon this week, uh, I'm sitting there at the library, and literally the thought came into my mind, you know what, seriously, this is too much. You should just write on love or something like that. People would understand if I went up there and said, I really felt like the Spirit was telling me instead to just talk about love. And, and, and it's like, leave this topic for the big boys, you know? Um, another thought I face is, is, really, you're moving again? What is wrong with you? 
That's like the third time. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? That's funny. Uh, uh, it's like the third time in five years. What do you, you're going to just bring so much dysfunction to that place. You're going, where, what do you do? Don't leave me up here. You know, you, you guys understand what this is like. And if I start to embrace those thoughts, I give up ground to the enemy and set up a stronghold. The final one is discontent, and it merges some of the others, but it's manifested often in regret. Did you know regret is a useless emotion? There's no value in it whatsoever. It's a trick of the enemy. He starts whispering in your ear, this isn't so great. Sh shouldn't you be making more money? Shouldn't you have a better job? Shouldn't you have a better family? You know, recently I was talking to somebody who's struggling with their marriage and told me, they said, I, I, just, I just think I'd be happier if. It's discontent. We have thoughts of what should be, what, should have, what we should have done, and the enemy starts getting ground. Back to the text, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so identify the stronghold in your life and reject the world's weapons because self-reliance isn't going to work. The weapons we fight with have divine, that means from God, power to demolish strongholds. That's right. It's demolition time. Now, the, some of you right away were like, demolition? Wesley, Wesley Snipes, Sylvester, how many of you will admit you've seen that movie? I, I haven't, but uh, I'm judging you just a little bit. But it's more like this. It's more like this when I say demolition. There's a video that should come up here any second now. There we go. And this is literally what our weapons can do to the strongholds in our mind. Wait for it, wait for it. Bam. I mean, it's not what we want to do, the stronghold set up in our mind when we surrender ground. And so first, let me pause at this point before I go forward and say that the enemy is not forcibly doing things in the minds of believers. He has no control over you. You and I, we surrender ground. We are making the choices. The thoughts come in and we choose to hold on to them. We choose to give up ground. And we only overcome this if we fight. And so that leads us to our final point, which is to attack with truth. Attack with truth. You choose the right weapon, you identify the stronghold, and you attack with truth. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension, that means claim, every claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so we demolish the arguments and the claims that set themselves up against what we know about God. We take every thought and we hold it obedient to Christ. And that starts by naming the area the enemy attacks. We name it and we identify it for the lie that it is. But the next step is to replace it with truth. Identify the lie, replace it with truth. If you're writing anything down, somewhere on your notes, it should say, identify the lie, replace it with the truth, because that's how the battle's won. Because things go better when we have the right tool. When we fight God's way, lasting victory can be won. And the right tool is truth. And God's way to fight is to identify the lie and replace it with the truth. Are you dealing with unforgiveness? Well, what's the lie? Well, the lie is maybe you should wait till you feel a little better about it, right? The lie is that, well, they did something that's unforgivable. The lie is that it's better to hold on to it than, than forgive. The word forgive literally means release. And if you need to work through forgiveness, just go to our website, look at old sermons. There's a sermon on forgiveness there that kind of expands it. But the truth is that Jesus has told us to forgive unlimited times. The truth is Ephesians 4.32 which says that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other 
just as Christ has forgiven you. Imagine you went to Jesus and you said, forgive me for this thing, and he said, I need time. You'd be like, what, what, what? But, but, but what's worse, what we've done to him or what others have done to us? And so we have to identify the lie, replace it with the truth, because some right now are giving ground to this. Some are giving ground to the lie about how awesome you are. Job 25.2 says that awe belongs to God, so that's a problem. But the idea here is that some have grabbed onto the lie of self-reliance, self-promotion, self-exaltation. You believe the hype that you're better and that's led you to self-reliance. Maybe you've let yourself get so busy, but you're super important, so that's okay. And I've heard it said that if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And then as a result, you're relying on yourself and not on Jesus. I'm fine. Yeah, but, but are you having that time with him? Are you getting, but I'm okay. But, I, but they need me, but I'm super important. But the truth is that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The truth is that John the Baptist, who Jesus said, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of a woman. Born of a woman, I think that's everybody. And John the Baptist said this in, verse, in chapter three, verse 30. He says, he must become greater. I must become less. If anyone had a reason to be arrogant, it would be John. Did you hear what Jesus said about me? See, were you born of a woman? Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm better. You know, I'm, but instead he's like, I want more of him and less of me. Identify the lie in your life. Replace it with the truth. Lord, you become greater in my life. Uh, become less. God, I don't want you opposed. You want to know how to have God opposed to you? I mean, you want to you know, wake up in the morning and be like, I think, God, how do I get God to oppose me? We'll be proud. But if you're humble, God will give you grace. Maybe there's some in here right now that are in the midst of sexual sin or you're making a poor relational choice in that realm. Some here have an emotional attachment to someone that you shouldn't have. Someone's meeting some needs in your life that they should not be meeting. Maybe you've acted on it in a bigger way. Maybe you haven't. But the lie that comes into your mind starts first, it starts out by like, it's not a big deal. You're just friends. Like it's not, but you know, you know that there's more to it than that. God just wants me happy. I've done everything I can. I'm trying in my other relationships. Nobody's gonna know and so forth. You ever wondered why, I mean, you know, sin is just like, it can be fun. Because Satan convinces us this is gonna be fun, this is gonna be fun. But the problem is, let's expose that. Hebrews 11.25 says that, yes, there's pleasure in sin, but they are temporary. It's fleeting. Sin can be enjoyable, but only for a short while, and then it all falls apart. That's what Satan does. He gets you, he's like, hey, just do this. It'll be fun. And you do it, you're like, this is fun. This is fun. And then he just attacks you. He's like, you call yourself a Christian? Are you kidding me? Can you do that? But you just said, but, you know, what's, he's a liar. That's what he does. And he gets us to enjoy it. And then we're like, well, I failed. So how do we make ourselves better, feel better when we fail? We fail more, right? We return to the thing that's making us miserable to get out of it. It's a never-ending cycle. But the lie here in sexual sin says that it's not a big deal. The truth is that God says marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed is to be kept pure. You know, in the years in student ministry, a question that always drove me nuts is how far is too far? And I'm like, no, the question is how pure can I be? I, I got to stand in front of uh, a couple people yesterday um, and, and perform their wedding, you know, and, and in those situations, like, to me, it's like, it's all about purity. It's just, have you um, gotten to that point where you can say, you know what, I loved you enough to wait. The truth is also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Starting in verse 18, it'll come up on the screen. It says this, to flee from sexual immorality. That means run from it. That means run away. You know the Old Testament story of, of, of a Joseph 
and Potiphar's wife, who's apparently super attractive, and so uh, he, he, she wanted to, you know, uh, do some bad things with that man, and uh, he, um, he ran away. He didn't stand there and justify. He didn't say, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. He ran. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And I have underlined this in my Bible. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Self-image, the lies come to say you're not good enough. You failed too much. You're not good looking enough. You're not talented enough and so forth. You know, the answer to low self-esteem is not high self-esteem. The answer is to get your focus off yourself because you are who God says you are. It's about him, it's not about you. I'm gonna say that again. The answer to low self-esteem is not high self-esteem, it's no self-esteem. It's saying, it's no esteem. It's saying, you know what, I don't really think about myself. It's not about me, it's about who God says. And he says if you are in Christ, that you are his child. He says that apart from him, you can do nothing, but in him, you can do incredible things. He says you are loved, he says you are valued, he says you are precious in his sight. As a matter of fact, um, I didn't get this in the bulletin. I recognize you're not gonna read it, but I want you to see what this looks like. All right, and what this is, this is who I am in Christ. And I want some of you to get this, and all you gotta do is Google the words who I am in Christ. If you Google it, this sheet will come up, and I'm gonna read some of these, because it says, I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am complete in Christ. I am his, uh, his temple. I am God's workmanship, and so forth. I am born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. Man, just Google who I am for Christ. That's written by a guy named Neil Anderson, I, I think some of us need that. I think I, I look at that often. All of us at times need to remember what God says about us is way more significant than what we say about ourselves. And we can live in victory if we identify the lies and replace it with the truth, but there is more. Back to the text, verse five. So we demolish argu arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so these thoughts, they go against what we know to be truth. And we take captive our thoughts and we make them obedient to Christ, but what does that mean? Well, it's all about having a personal connection with a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. You see, God calls us to use the spiritual weapons to tear down the opposition by identifying the lies, replacing them with the truth, but we gotta know Jesus in order to fight, and we gotta be turning to him in the battle. And that's right, we pray these truths. We want our thoughts to be obedient to him, and that can't happen apart from us knowing the truth and taking it to him in prayer. It looks like this. Lord, right now, I feel like I, I can't possibly write or preach this sermon. There's too much going on. This message is too big to communicate in such a small amount of time. Who am I to do this? But your word says that if I call to you, you'll answer me and show me great and unsearchable things. Your word says that you do more than I ask or imagine according to your power at work in me. You must become greater. I must become less. So I'm gonna move forward. I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna rely on your strength. And that's how we fight. Because Satan is a liar. Jesus himself said Satan is the father of lies. When he lies, he's speaking his native language. And he throws everything at us. And this morning we are exposing his lies. And so uh, maybe you're like, yeah, but I, I would know Satan if I saw him, right? I mean, the red guy, horns, pitchfork, right? Um, well, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says this. It says that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Because he is tricky, he disguises himself. Here's just a few more things that he does. One of the things he does, he makes little things big. You ever find that on Sunday morning sometimes, or 
You thinking about going to church? The littlest thing starts the biggest argument. Maybe that's just me, but it seems to happen, but he does it in our life. He takes little things. Sometimes my wife and I, after an argument, will just be like, that was so stupid. But that's what he does. Sometimes he'll make big things little. Something big that you should be engaging in and you should be praying through, and it's like, you're fine. It's fine, because you don't want to deal with it. He gets us to obsess over the future or the past. The past is done, but uh, if you're anything like me, sometimes I just lament over just, why did I do that? What was that? And it's things that it's years ago. He convinces us to live apart from God. You're okay. I mean, you're not doing any of the major things. Yeah, but I haven't really had meaningful time with God. But you're okay. You're not okay. He gets between relationships. But last week we said Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle's not against flesh and blood. He works to destroy our home. He works to destroy our churches. He attacks like a roaring lion. I wonder if you ever had thoughts that were just totally irrational, unsolicited, or just bizarre. Identify them as spiritual warfare. Say, no, 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 that's, no, you're not, that's, that's not happening. And you, and you turn, let these things turn you to Jesus. This is why we fight. The battle is won with truth. And if you live in truth, you live in victory. You see, if someone told you that, hey, tonight, a thief is coming, you would be ready and you would probably leave the light on because you'd want to see what was coming. And so, loved ones, the thief is coming. But we don't have to live in fear because Jesus said this in John 10.10. He warned us about the thief. He said this, John 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, hey, the thief is coming, but don't worry because I've come to give you life and I've come to give you everything you need. And God's word is the light and we prepare with truth. If you walk away from this place and, and you start living in fear, you're missing it. Because in Christ, you don't have to live in fear. The idea here is to recognize, I can't fight this battle on my own, but I gotta name it. I gotta identify the stronghold. And so walking away from this place this morning, you wanna identify what are some areas that you've given up ground? What are some lies that you're believing in? My wife and I have made it a practice at times when one of us is struggling to help the other one identify the lies. Say, what are the lies you're believing right now? And we start going through them and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Because we don't always see them. And this is what we should be doing in community. This is what we should be doing in small groups. This is what we should be doing in relationships is helping each other identify the lies and replacing them with the truth. We pray. We, we know the God who has given us what we need to fight because when we fight God's way, lasting victory can be won. I want to see us live in victory. And that's what I want for myself. And one day, one day we're gonna stand before Jesus and he's gonna make all things new and hey, you know what? That's what we're gonna talk about next week. Next week's message is about anticipating heaven and we're gonna go to the end of the book of Revelation and we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But maybe walk away from that place, this place this morning, determined to know God in a new way, to recognize that if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy, that we need to connect with him. May we have an unrelenting passion for prayer that lets us see strongholds broken and may we fight and claim the victory in this battle that Jesus won for us. Let's pray. And so, Father, it's my prayer that as we expose the schemes of the enemy, that he would take his place as the defeated enemy. We know he is. That you would help us to even now be identifying lies that we believed. I think of so many seasons of my life where I've just held down to the lies of the enemy and given up the ground until you set me free. Lord, help those right now who are in heavy bondage to have that desire to be free, 
and to turn to you. Help us to be a stronger community of believers that will help each other point out the lies. Help us to identify that we cannot be self-reliant, but that we must fight. We might not, we can't fight as the world does, but with these weapons that demolish strongholds. And so may we grab a hold of truth. May we turn to you in prayer. May we know Jesus more. And the more that we live in truth, live in victory. Father, I know that uh, the enemy has plans for us, but your plans are so much greater. So may we walk out of this place with hope and say, Jesus has given me life. And I want to live that full life. And so to do that, I will fight these battles. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.